Acts chapter 2, verse 37 to 41. <clears throat> uh, if you are a guest, we've been, we're going through the book of Acts, and uh, this is as far as we've gotten, so this is where we are now. Begin verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and, they, and there was added that day about 3,000 souls. Would you pray with me once again? Father, we ask for your blessing on your word. We ask that your word would go forth and do what you've called it to do, sent it to do. Lord, this is a promise of scripture and we lay claim to it today. God, anoint my mouth that I may speak your words with truth and boldness. Lord, may the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable in thy sight. Lord God, our Redeemer and Savior. Amen. Thank you. Young, sit down now. The pulpit mic's still on, so I'm getting a double sound here, I think. Okay, it's off. Good. Praise the Lord. Don't ever hit a mic. Mics weren't made to be hit. They were made to be spoken into. So anyway, you're in Acts 2. Today's sermon is called Repent and Act Like It. <laughs> you know, we think of repentance as being sorry. And, and there is a sorrow, I guess, accompanied with repentance. But, but that doesn't have anything to do with repentance. Sorrows may be a result of repentance, but it's not, it's not repentance in itself. You see, sorrow, we see in Corinthians... Leads us to death. We preached about this back uh, uh, during Easter time. About the difference between Peter and Judas. Where Peter repented but, but Judas had remorse. He was remorseful. He was sorry for what he did. But he never found a place of repentance. Repentance means to change my mind and thus change my actions. It's been described as you're going this way. You turn around and go that way. Well I may go, be going this way and run to a bear. And turn around and go this way. Right? That doesn't mean I repented of going that way. It just meant my way was blocked. You with me? Now, so, so repentance has an idea of I want to go this way, but I realize I'm going the wrong way, and I want to go the right way, so I turn around and go that way. And there's no emotion in that. A wise man said this, that the, the road to repentance is, is already slick, and it's made more slick by tears. Are you following that? Sorry, my watch is bothering me, so I'm going to take it off. In other words, sometimes in our emotion, we never get to the place of repentance. Repentance means to actually change. And so Peter here, he's preaching, and, and in the scripture that we've already read, by the way, here's a statement I want you to take home with you. Go ahead and put it. Repentance is the first sign of humility. All right? Let me just explain that real quickly before I get to what Peter did and what happened here. It's the first sign of humility because this is the stumbling block of the gospel that you can't save yourself. Remember, there's only two religions in the world, Christianity and everything else. Because everything else talks about how a man can get to the place of blessing or to heaven or to God. Christianity says, you can't make it, so let me come and bring you to me. Right? Every other religion is man reaching for God. Christianity is God reaching to men. And bringing men into his presence through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, his death, his burial, and then his resurrection, empowering what he had done on the cross. 
And all God's people said amen. Thank you. So, yeah, that, that is Christianity. So, to be saved, the first thing you got to do is say, I give up, I can't do it. That takes humility. That is a humbling. The Bible never says pray for humility. It says humble yourself. Let me put that in modern English. Get off your high horse. You ain't all that. Just forget about it. Humility. And the first step of humility is repentance. God, I've made a mess of this. I don't want to keep making a mess of it. I want to go your way. And you turn to him in repentance. All right? So I want you to remember that because repentance isn't a one-time thing. Repentance doesn't just happen when you get saved. Repentance is a daily thing. Not only repenting of, of, of your sin, but also allowing other people to be wrong and loving them anyway. The world has let us get messed up about this because they think that when we say something is right or wrong that we're judging. We're not judging. We're saying that's wrong and it's going to hurt you and you need to repent of it. So when we, when we base our standards on this objective word of God and say this is how we're to order our life, when my life is not ordered according to Scripture as a believer in Christ, I need to repent. Now, if a guy's lost, I just expect him to act like a lost guy. Amen? No, I mean, if you're lost, you're lost. And I can't expect you to act like you're saved. I want you to get saved. I want you to be saved. I want you to come into a relationship with God. Salvation is the result of relationship with God. And that's what we discover here in this sermon that Peter preached. And I was talking about that last time. That, that in this sermon, Peter's saying you got to come to Christ and God will change your life. It's a relationship with God. It's not just looking for fire insurance. You know, we just want to, oh, I just don't want to go to hell. So give me the fire insurance and I'm going to live my life any way I want. You know, if you buy fire insurance and then set fire to your house, they will put you in jail. Right? Okay, well, you think God is less strict than an insurance company? If you just want to buy fire insurance and then live any old way you want, Paul said, may that never be. You receive grace. That grace brings power to live the life that God's called you to live. You don't have to keep living that life. You can change that life or God will change that life in you and by killing the old man and giving you a brand new nature. And so to say, well, I prayed when I was in Bible school and I was 12 and, you know, so I know I'm going to heaven. I just hadn't done anything with it ever since. Well, I doubt it. I mean, I guess there's some guy out there that bought a brand new Ferrari one day and put it in the garage and never drove it. I guess. I can't imagine that. I can't afford the insurance on a Ferrari. I'm not sure I can afford a tank of gas that goes in a Ferrari. I don't know. I don't know if it uses, you know, high test or rocket fuel. I don't know. But I'm just saying, when God, the Holy Spirit, comes lives in you and then you just can live any way you want? I don't think so, Tim. It's just not going to work. So repentance is humility saying, hey, I can't do it. You got to do this in me. You following that? All right, let's look at what happened. So Peter is preaching. He's saying, you crucified the Son of God, uh, the Messiah, Jesus. And it says in verse 37, there was a conviction of sin. When they heard it, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. I told you last week, that is not just, I know the King James says pricked in their heart. And it just, you know, I have to take my blood sugar a couple times a day at least. And I take this little thing and I stick myself and I bleed. And Please don't ever come up to me and say, I guess you get used to that. Yeah, it quits hurting after a thousand times. No, it always hurts, okay? Every time. Just, 
First time I ever did it, I was chasing myself like this. You know, and I, 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 you don't want to do it. It hurts. All right. So we, but we think I was a little like thorn prick. No, it's like a spear through your heart. Homer, who wrote in Greek, used this word to mean like a horse stamping his foot on the ground over and over. Pow, pow, paw in the ground. It was like Peter just driven it in and pulled it out, driven it in and pulled it out, driven just over and over, pounded it into him. And that's not a just a, oh yeah, that was a lovely sermon. No, it was a ooh, knock them down conviction of sin. And in that conviction, they cried out, what do we need to do? They said, what shall we do? I love when Paul gets saved later in, in Acts. And he, the Bible says, you know, he saw this light, he heard this voice, knocks him on his, down to the ground. And, and he says... And, and he hears a voice saying, says something to him. He says, who are you, Lord? He wasn't sure who he's talking to, but he knew whoever this is, this is the boss. And that's the sense of this. They said, what do we have to do? We get it. We killed the Messiah. What should we do about it? So secondly, not only was there a conviction of sin, but here are the conditions of this relationship. Because what is going to happen when we, when we come to know Christ, we, we enter into a new relationship with him. Man, that last song, Like a Bride Waiting for His I was sitting there thinking about that. Because I'm a guy, I don't know what a bride feels like. But isn't it interesting that the church is the bride? So I, I, so I was standing, sitting down there, standing down there singing, but my mind was racing. And, and what, what I was singing about was, well... Adam was supposed to do it right and, and Eve was deceived and then Adam followed in and he caused mankind to fall and Eve fell with him. And then after that, God said, uh, guy, you're going to be in charge. Woman, you've got to be united with this man and follow his leadership. And God was telling us the man's got to lead out of that. And then we come to the book of Romans and we find out Jesus, the last Adam... Did it right. And he's redeemed his bride. Adam has redeemed Eve. And we're the church waiting for our groom. To come give us final redemption. Oh man. How much do we long for Jesus. In our daily life. How much do we long for him to come and redeem his bride. And Peter says repent. Very first word. I've already described it. I've already explained what it means. So the first condition is repentance. Coming to God saying, man, I, I can't handle it. You got to handle it. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do your way. And we turn away from it. And then he says, and be baptized. We are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, there, there's a reason for that. It shows that Jesus lived, died, and rose again, right? My arm is representing a man standing there. So it's Jesus and and and. And then, but it represents that I was in Christ and I died to who I was, was buried with Christ and I'm raised with him. So we have the hope of the resurrection because we were in Christ when he died for our sins. We also have hope that we're going to rise with him. Okay, good. You're, you're following along with me. So Peter says the, the sign of it is that you get baptized. Now, guess what? In, in case you don't know, you're at Calvary Baptist, right, church. Just because we believe in that. We, we came out of a group of people that realized, hey, wait a minute. Everybody else is doing it wrong. They're, you know, getting people sprinkled with a little bit of water. And we got to get, you know, fully wet down in the bottom of the pool. 
and come back up to signify by what death Jesus died, buried, rose again. So we too died, were buried, rose again. Read Romans 6, it'll explain it. So, so we have to be, repent of our sin, and then we say, I repented because I'm saying that I'm dying to who I was, and I want to be identified with Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection. Okay? Then thirdly, he says, for the forgiveness of sin. Now, there are people out there who believe it. We call it baptismal regeneration. If you want to write down those words, they're not hard to understand. That, that's uh, the theology uh, of, of a part of Christianity. They believe that if you don't get baptized by water, you can't be saved. They're ignoring a lot of things that happen, but that, that's okay. But this is the only verse that they have for that. And it is a misunderstanding of the original language being translated into English because it is the word E-I-S, ice, which means into, which means into salvation. But in the, in the grammar of this sentence, it can also be used, and it's used in many places this way, as a result of. Not only into, but it's saying since you're already there, then you show the results of it. That's what this means. Be baptized as the result of the forgiveness of sin, not to get forgiveness of sin. Or the thief in the cross couldn't go to heaven. The guy that dies on his deathbed without being baptized can't go to heaven. And I don't think God's about that. Right? Now, some people made, oh, well, you know, I can still go to heaven. I don't have to be baptized go to heaven, so it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter. Because what you're saying is you're ashamed of Jesus. No one will be identified with it. When you're not baptized after salvation. And according to our belief as Baptists. So I, as, if you're in a Baptist church. If you're a visitor here. God bless you. We can debate it. Discuss it if you want to. But if you're a member here. I want you to understand. Baptism is. This is. You got to be baptized to be saved. And this is where we are. Okay. We're just under that. You need to be baptized. Because what you're saying is. Jesus I claim you. I, I'll take your name. I'll put on the ring. My wife does not have a hyphenated last name. She took my name. She made her old last name her middle name. So, you know, she just didn't put the hyphen in. But she's Mrs. McCarter, not Mrs. Valentine McCarter. She's not confused about that. She took on my identity in, that, in ways that I can't even describe. She has shown that grace and love and acceptance to me in ways that, that I, I could not even begin to tell you. And I'm so grateful and I'm glad that she wants to be identified with me that way. Well, we're the church. We want to be identified with our groom, right? So we take his name, and baptism is the wedding. It is the wedding ring of that, all right? And then the fourth thing is, and receive the Holy Spirit. He says, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, because that's what had happened to the apostles, and Peter is opening the door for the Holy Spirit to be poured out at this place on the Jews, chapter 8 on the Jew-Gentile mix, and then in, in Acts 10 on the Gentiles. Peter unlocked those gates, those doors, as Jesus had predicted back in Matthew. Uh, you'll have the keys of the kingdom, and you'll unlock the door, and, and things will happen. So the conditions of the relationship is repentance, uh, baptism, forgiveness of sin, and then the Holy Spirit comes. And that's why Romans 8, 11 says, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. Now, I'm not saying it has to be in that order. I think when you come to Christ, he gives you the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit brings you the conviction of the, of the other things as well. And then, here's the consequences of that repentance and what Peter said. 
And Peter goes on to say, by the way, for the promises for you and your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Peter's already prophesying. There's going to be a lot more people come in and it's going to be as many as God calls. He got confused about that later, but in this point, God, the Holy Spirit is speaking through him and he's letting us know there's going to be a lot more people and they're not all going to be Jewish when they come to know me. And with many other words, I told you he kept preaching. It just, the Bible just gave us this part of his sermon. And bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And by the way, all, the, all of them were saying the same thing. Remember, there were 120 people in that upper room. They were all filled with the Spirit and they all came out preaching and teaching and exhorting. Peter was a spokesman, but they were all unified in the message. Right? They weren't preaching 120 different things. It was one thing. Amen. One way, one thing. So verse 41, here's the result. 3,000 people plus got saved. It says about 3,000. I always add up, not down, because I'm a Baptist. So, you know, we always count, count one more, you know. They had, the consequence of repentance is, number one, they had a relationship with God. And number two, about 3,000 people got saved. That's amazing to me. That's very amazing. I have actually seen that happen at Billy Graham Crusade in St. Louis. I mean, sorry, uh, in, in Louisville, Kentucky. I, I happened to be there one night. Dr. Graham spoke, sitting in a wheelchair, and he spoke, and 3,000 people got saved. That was amazing. I always wanted to see that, and God granted me that privilege once. Well, what can you do with this? Well, first, you need to look honestly at your relationship reaction and response to the truth. You need to look honestly, what is your relationship with God? What is your relationship in Christ? What is your reaction or response to the truth of the word of God? I use both words. You say, aren't those the same thing? No, a reaction is what happens when something happens to you. Response is a thoughtful, a thoughtful thing that you do in, in, in action over what you have learned or said. I'm trying not to use the word in the definition. But a reaction is, I stick my fingers in a fan, I'm going to react. I touch a hot stove, I'm going to react. So you may get hit and go, ah, I don't want to go to hell. That's a reaction. But when you go, I want to have a relationship with God, that's a response. It's, it's okay not to want to go to hell and get saved. I'm not saying that. But, but what I'm saying is, what is your response to the truth? Do you make God put you in a tight before you, before you get right? I didn't mean to rhyme that, and I used a gullah term there. Put you in a tight. A tight means, you know, like Balaam's donkey between the rock and a hard place, how we say it in English. Gullahs just say, you're in a tight. Um, so you get in this tight space, and so you, uh, I want God to get me out of this. You know, or, or do you see the truth, and you want to respond to him? So it's okay to react, but let your reaction lead you to response. Okay? Let the warning take you to a, a place of positive response. And so I'm just asking you to look honestly at yourself right now in your heart, in your mind. You know, you can think while I'm talking. I hope you are. Number two, repentance is a lifestyle. It's not a one-time event. We don't repent once and then that's it. We have to continually repent. Now, on this day, 3,000 people got saved. I want to ask you a question. Would you like to see a lot more people get saved at Calvary? Would you like to see a lot more people come to know the Lord in Calvary, honor God? 
Yeah, me too. I'm afraid we're being hindered. And so the third thing I have up there is there needs to be an immediate response. And I'm going to ask you today to have an immediate response. And, and I'm, I, I, had, I had to carefully craft what I want to say. So I, I wrote it down because I will chase fat rabbits. And, and just one caveat I want to say. I have no individual in my mind as I say this. This is for the body, the church. If you're our guest here today, this is how we handle things We want to look at them honestly and then try to respond. And so let me read what I've written. Today, I want Calvary to experience an immediate response to this message. I want to go back to this word repent. The first step of the four conditions involved in salvation. So we've already defined its meaning. And I want to add or I want to emphasize that it's the first act of humbling ourselves before an almighty God. Because in repentance, we acknowledge his supremacy, his supreme ownership, his sovereignty over us. We admit that our way is not the right way and that we are desperately in need of him. So today I'm asking Calvary to to return to this word and take an action. Let me explain. I was asked to be your pastor 16 months ago. and We've seen a lot of good things happen. I look forward to many more things happening and even greater things in the future. But before we can see these things, we have to deal with one thing. And there's a familiar expression, the elephant in the room. But I want to use a different expression, the buffalo on the track. You see, I believe the church should be like a train going somewhere. You go to the carnival, they got bumper cars, they make a lot of noise, they're fun, they're exciting, but they're not getting anything done. It's noisy, it's fun, but it accomplishes nothing. The church should be a train with a singular purpose heading to a singular destination. Right? You don't have to agree, but that's what I'm saying. It feels to me like we're having trouble to get the train moving down the track. And here's part of the problem. There's a buffalo on the track. We could plow forward. But one of two negative things are going to happen if we do. With the buffalo still there, that is. We're either going to create a bloody mess that's not good for the buffalo. Or we're going to cause the train to jump the track, which is not good for the train, which is the church. Follow me? So, what is this buffalo? It's a lack of understanding why the engaged service was asked to reunite with the celebrate, which is what we call this service. And it's not my intention to lay blame or for any action or, or impression with any individual or group of individuals, because that's not the point. It doesn't matter. And, and by the way, I don't think anybody tried ever did anything evil, okay? I want to make that very, very clear. It's not my intention to rehash the facts of history, because that's not the point. The point is this, that this lack of understanding of what happened created disunity and a lack of trust among the body of Christ. And that's sin. The second most important thing in the Word of God for the body of Christ is unity. The first is to know Christ and know Him sincerely. And the only thing that should break the unity of a church is the truth not preference. Okay? So let me say, I admit I wasn't here, so I don't have the emotional involvement that most of you have. I also want to acknowledge that wherever you were involved, wherever you stood, you felt you lost something. And that'd be true, because you did. People lost stuff, and it, it, it pained them. However, in focusing on what you lost, you failed to see what you gained. What everyone gained was an opportunity to learn, grow, and serve in order to bring glory to God. 
in an increased way. You see, every person has gifts to offer and everyone has opportunity to receive through those gifts. The disunity and distrust causes us to lose the opportunity to both give and receive. Because I've heard people from both services. One said, we want to be a part, but we can't find a way in. And others said, we want them to be a part, but they don't seem to want to help. And I'm going, how can these two things be true at the same time? Because both people are saying the same thing, yet we can't get together. So why did the services combine? Let me tell you, it's simple. The reason the purpose of having the two groups had been lost. The purpose of Engage was to build up a healthy nucleus of a new church and then transfer that nucleus to a different specific location to take root, grow and become a strong, self-supporting, self-governing, self-reproducing church. But there came a day when that purpose was lost and there was not an identified place to go. There was no place to take it to. And so the result was, it just happened, that there was a second church occupying the same building at the same time with the same budget, but yet two different operating philosophies. Now, that'd be comparable to a man being married to two wives running the same household. And no matter what reality television wants you to believe, that don't work. Okay? So, when Engage was brought back into the auditorium, they felt forced to lose an identity and a dream. And Celebrate was forced to receive a church they didn't even understand. The result was confusion, distrust, and disunity. Calvary has given a lot in a short amount of time, and it needs a rest. It needs to rest to rebuild its strength. So, assumptions were made by people all over the church, and we've heard stuff. Okay? So today, I'm asking that everyone, the whole church, whether you were here then or not, whether you think you did no wrong or not, if you think you did no wrong, you need to repent of that. Because everybody's done wrong. There's nobody innocent. Okay? That we all come together because we're one body. This is why I preached on Ephesians, the first thing. It says in Ephesians, we're one body with one Lord, one faith, one baptism. It's, we're just one. So, do you go home and hate your children? Do you go home and hate your brother or sister? Do you go home and hate your wife, your husband? Of course not. You say, well, I don't hate anybody. When you speak evil or down about somebody, you're showing hate, whether you feel like you are or not. So we need to all come together as one body, one bride, one church, and repent of division, of gossip, of assumptions. Assumptions are bad. If you've if you got, you got a question, ask them. Quit assuming. Thinking more of ourselves than we do of other people. Listen, I'll tell you the least important person in this building is me. And you ought to think the same thing. Not that I'm the least important, but you ought to think you're the least important. Because Paul said, esteem others better than yourself. We set that forth in the new members class. We want to esteem others better than ourselves. And repent of not desiring to be one body. And here's the, here's the best way I can sum it up. Choosing my preference... Over the unity of the body. Whenever we have that attitude, it's sin. So I'm asking that we repent. That we cry out to God to forgive our sin. To heal our hearts and our hearts. And to give us love and unity for one another. I'm not asking for understanding. 
I'm, asking, I, I'm not asking for you to say, I was guilty. I don't, I don't care. It's not the point. The point is that as a body, we cry out to God in repentance and say, God, help us, heal us, fix us so we can go forward with your will. We need to ask God to move in us to glorify him and then to use us to reach Stanton for Jesus Christ. Now, I, 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 got, I know what could be going through your mind. I would remind you in Matthew 5, Jesus said, if you bring your gift to the altar and you know your brother has something against you, leave your gift and go get right. The point of this repentance would be reconciliation. That we love and accept our brother even though they're different from us, or sister, using the term generally. In Galatians 5, uh, we, we like to skip over the Baptist sins that are there, but I'm going to read them to you. In, in Galatians 5, he says this, uh, beginning in verse 19, The works of the flesh are these, uh, are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, and then it comes to the Baptist with enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissension, divisions. Well, I was in this, I'm of that. Says those who do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Oh, we like to talk about the homosexual. We like to talk about the drunkard. We like to talk. People with those attitudes are in the same camp. So don't think don't think you're all high and mighty and you're God's special spokesman for everybody, because we're not. And in Matthew, uh, in in Matthew three, Jesus came to be baptized, and John said, oh, "Hold on." Lord, you ought to be baptizing me. Why are you coming for me to baptize you? He said, it, it is proper that we fulfill all righteousness. In other words, Jesus didn't have to be baptized, but if he had not, he would have been saying, oh, I don't have to do what God asked me to do. And that would have been the sin. You see what I'm saying? So I don't care if you say, well, I didn't do anything wrong. I, I love everybody and I, I accept everybody. Not the point. The point is, as a body, because if the body doesn't agree to repent, then it's pointless. I can repent all day long, but unless the body does it, it won't matter. Does that make sense?